entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat, but I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Los Angeles, 1953. We don't want organized crime in L.A. If you break the law, you'll have to answer to a special squad of detectives. This is no Holland Falls, Jack. You guys can't do this. This is America. This isn't America, Jack. This is L.A. With their own brand of justice. Full man, no politics, no favors. We answer to nobody. Now, is this the way you found her? Yeah, she's just like this. They're on the verge of a conspiracy. They killed her up there. Who? Does Thomas Kim's ring a bell? He's uh, one of the inventors of the A-bomb. Far beyond their reach. Do you think much about national security, Lieutenant? We set it up. Get rid of gangsters and criminals. Not go up against the Atomic Energy Commission. And what if they're killing people? This is about to turn bad, isn't it? Just let me do what I gotta do. What part is here? case takes us. Not if it takes you here, you don't. Nick Nolte, Melanie Griffith, Jazz Palminteri, Michael Madsen, Chris Penn, Treat Williams, Jennifer Connolly, Andrew McCarthy, and John Malkovich. Some people die before their time so that others can live. It's a cornerstone of civilization. Mulholland Falls. This is Neil Young. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And now... Hey, Rocky! Watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat! Again? Button up my sleeve! Crystal! No doubt about it. I gotta get another hat! Now here's something we hope you'll really like! Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Running your computers in Google Tantalk, 1340.com, and you can see us live. Yes, you can, live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com. And don't forget to check out our archive page, Nostalgic Radio Cars, where you can listen to all 400 and, I don't know, a whole bunch of shows that we've done over the last, uh, going on nine and a half years here. Um, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter. I think we're on Twitter. Instagram and all the other social media stuff. And uh, welcome to the show this evening, guys. Hey, I got a very special guest sitting in with me tonight. I got a friend of mine from way back when. Serious car guy. And uh, we played a little clip here from uh, Mulholland Falls. And this gentleman, uh, not only is he a serious car collector, but he used to own a company in California called Hollywood 
cars. Hollywood picture cars. Hollywood picture cars. God, listen to me. I, I'm, I'm like... Anyway, I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening my good friend, Scott Bose. Scott, how are you doing? I'm really well, Robert. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you could make it. You're actually sitting in live in the studio here, just fresh off the airplane from California here within the last week, right? That's absolutely right. We would have been here sooner, but we had two flights that were canceled due to the weather. Scotty, I got to get you talking to the front microphone here. Sorry. I think. Was I a little far away? Is yeah, you were a little there? bit far. Yeah, kind of getting a little closer because these things are like, because uh, I Tommy's over there. Hey, Tommy, how you doing? Can you can Tommy say something this time? Yes, Tommy can talk tonight. Oh, Tommy can talk tonight. Okay, so it's very good. So good. yes, we would have been here a little earlier, but there was something called a hurricane, and we had two flights canceled. So we're here now, and I'm glad to be in the studio. Super. Okay. Well, so uh, so Hollywood picture cars take us back to the very your very very early roots. So before you were in California, you are actually on the East Coast of the United States. That's true. I was raised in New York, and I spent the first 16 years of my life in New York and uh, was a car guy from, at, from that time as well. My parents used to tell stories about how they'd buy me things for Christmas, and I would immediately take them apart. My mother used to say, he takes machinery apart to see where the feet are. Well, the good thing was when I got done, there usually wasn't anything left over. And if there was something left over, sometimes I got a whipping. <laughs> well what's that old saying if you take something apart and you got extra parts left over you did something wrong is that kind of that that's kind of right and uh, these were mechanical things that you didn't drive so it wasn't as important as it is today when i take a car apart so what was the thing that got you interested in cars i mean is that something it was kind of like a natural thing did something trigger you or uh, did you did you get a toy like a lot of us did um i think the first thing i really remember was being in brooklyn new york and watching them repave a street. And I was only about four years old, and the story goes that I invited these guys from the steamroller to come to my birthday party. And actually they did, but the best part was after I invited them, they invited me to ride on the steamroller. Now I know you wouldn't do that today, there'd be plenty of stuff to worry about, but back in the day in Brooklyn in the 50s, it was very safe. And I had a great time on that steamroller. Interesting, interesting. Did, uh, so, now, steamroller being heavy equipment, did you gravitate to heavy equipment or did you go right to cars? No, anything mechanical fascinated me. I didn't care if it was an electric fan. I really, really liked motion. I liked motorcycles. I liked bicycles. I liked anything that moved. Okay, so that in, in your bio I was reading, I think that one of the first things you did was build a motorcycle, right? So you had a motorcycle before a car? Uh, yes, I built a bike. Um, I took a Schwinn bicycle with a Springer front end and got a Briggs & Stratton lawnmower engine and uh, off a Bendix washing machine, I got a pulley and then I actually bought a centrifugal clutch and I built this motorbike. And uh, unfortunately, it uh, was a real problem in New York where it's a felony to drive an unlicensed vehicle, no. a felony to drive without <laughs> a license and uh, a felony to drive an uninsured vehicle. That was the beginning of my trouble with the state of New York. And I was 15. 15. Okay. So now, wait a minute. Now, back in the 50s, did you have to be, how old to get a driver's license? 15, 16? Well, um, this was actually in the 60s. I okay. was born in 47. Okay. Um, so this would have been mid-60s. And um, it was a real problem because I got hit by a car. And uh, instead of wanting to do anything for me, they wanted to write me some citations. Uh, luckily, my mother was in the neighborhood and the kids in the neighborhood said, hey, Scott had an accident. And so my mom came running and saw me lying on the ground and a uh, rather officious policeman tried to get between her and myself on the ground and was waving his finger at her. And the local women pushed this policeman out of the way and said, let her see her child. Oh. And, uh, I got the citations and had to go to court, but I did get to go for an ambulance ride to the hospital. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, this is a standard question. Everybody asks this. No matter what show, what TV show, what radio show, what uh, publication, first car. First car was a 1953 Plymouth four-door high drive, which is a semi-automatic. It had a fluid clutch, which meant you had a step on the clutch to put it into drive or first gear. And then from that point on, you could come to a stoplight, step on the brakes, not have to depress the clutch, and it would downshift to the lower gear and then bring you to the high range and it was pretty good. The only time you used the clutch, not when you came to a complete stop, but if you wanted to put it into reverse or when you first started the car. And that was called Plymouth High Drive, and it was a semi-automatic so, and a four-door. Oh, and a four. Okay, two extra doors. How'd you get to California? 
Um, that's a rather involved story that has something to do with that uh, motorcycle. First, first arrest. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I wasn't. I, I wasn't a favorite of law enforcement, uh, not for doing anything other than silly things like building motorbikes and driving without insurance. And uh, it was a good time for me to leave the state. I had a grandmother that lived in California, and uh, I went to visit her uh, for a long time. Okay, so you were a fugitive, basically. No, 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 no. I was an emancipated minor. Oh, Big difference. Please excuse Scott for being absent today. I didn't feel like coming. <laughs> yeah, I think it's 3,000 miles away. No, no. I went to, and I finished my last year of high school in California. Oh, did you? Yes. Okay. So then how the, uh, how the, so you, you were, I know you have an affinity for Porsches. So somewhere I was reading you were kind of doing something with Porsches, Volkswagens, and tell us about that a little bit. I started with VWs. One of the first cars that I had at college was a 1955 Volkswagen Oval. And um, I bought a book when the engine went bad on how to rebuild it. And uh, I re we were renting a little house. I had a roommate, tiny little house, couldn't have been more than 450 square feet, a guest house. And I rebuilt that car the car's engine in my bedroom all the way use the bathtub to wash the parts just like a safety clean machine <laughs> and uh, i'm sure the landlord still has stains and scratches in that tub today uh some almost 60 years 60 years later 55 for sure but what i didn't realize is once you got the heads and the shrouds and everything on you couldn't get it back out the bedroom door oh. so there i was faced with turning it sideways turning it horizontal and finally realizing the heads had to come back off or I wasn't getting out of the bedroom. Interesting, interesting. And then, uh, so from there, you kind of like got into the business somehow, right? Well, actually, I went through college and uh, worked at a independent Porsche and Volkswagen agency uh, called Nicholas von Rosenberg Company right in Hollywood. Mm. And uh, that helped pay for my college education. I met a lot of people doing that. And uh, when I finished school, I did a couple of other things which weren't too exciting and uh, wound up uh, following my heart, took my life savings of about $3,000 and moved to England. And uh, I was gonna find an old Bentley or an old Jaguar and bring it back to California and rebuild it. And instead, I found a bunch of English army surplus t-shirts, what we call wife beaters here, <laughs> here in Florida. Okay. Uh, no one knew what a tank top was in 1970, uh, but they knew what uh, sleeveless vests were in England, which is what they called wife beaters. Okay. So <laughs> I, I bought all of these for very little money, uh, the equivalent of about 12 cents a piece with my life savings, brought them back to America. And some friends of mine and myself, we dyed all of those in the same bathtubs that I talked about building motors in, each of us taking a bunch of them, dyeing them six different colors. And the jeans craze was really heavy in America at that time. And I sold all of those to one jeans chain in Southern California, took the money, went back and with a friend, opened up one store in England of uh, uh, jeans, a clothing store called the Penthouse. And one store exploded into lots of cars, excuse me, lots of stores. And uh, by that time, I was quite a bit older. I was 26 and I was living in Brighton on the North Sea on the English Channel with the North Sea at my back. And having been a surfer both in New York and California, I was craving warm weather and uh, came back to America at 26 and thought I had retired for the first time in my life at 26. Wow, that's a fascinating story. It was great, except the money ran out before it was supposed to and I was back to work. And uh, what I did was buy the place that I had worked at when I was in college and turned it into a restoration house. And in 1977, I was lucky enough in Hollywood to open the first restoration facility. We called it Image Makers because cars were an image. Mm -hmm. And boy, all you needed was cars at that time. Cars are a big part of life in Southern Cal. And uh, you might not have a lot of money, but if you have a cool car, you move up the social ladder. Ah, okay. Hey, Tommy, just for drill, can you uh, go ahead and let's just run a commercial real quick, just roll one. And then let's th throw that song on there real quick for us. Because uh, Scott is a big Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young fan. And, of course, since this is the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, I'm not sure if you were there or not. No, they didn't have the anniversary. It was canceled. Oh, okay. But anyway, so here's a little Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young and a little tribute to uh, Woodstock. We'll be right back. You're tuning into Nostalgic Wedding Cards. Don't touch that dial. 
Some money after 911 and 411. Call 541. That's 727 541 1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727 541 1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle and visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Okay, we're back in the tune into Nostalgic Radio Cards. I'm sitting here with my good friend and special guest for the evening, Scott Bose, uh, founder and uh, owner of Hollywood Picture Cars. And Actually, former owner. I am fully retired. Oh, you're fully retired. Okay, back to work, Robert. Now, tell, <laughs> tell us how you evolved from the Porsche repair or I should say the restoration facility, how the picture, how the picture cars come about? Well, um, from about 1977 to 83, we were a straight restoration facility. Um, as I mentioned, the first one in Hollywood and, um, directors, actors, um, producers would stop by and uh, say, gee, I'd like to use that car for a film. I'd like to use that one for a commercial. Actors would say, Hey, I'd like to drive this car in a movie I'm doing. Um, do you think you could rent it to us? And uh, my answer immediately was, of course, but I'm going to do the driving. Okay. And that's sort of like, you know, if you own the football, you can be the quarterback on the sandlot. So I got a lot of traction from owning the cars. So you were basically at the right place at the right time. Jess, I'd rather be lucky than smart. There's no question about <laughs> it. I like that. I want to use that one. So now you're in L.A., and whereabouts is it? Because that was the days of Vasi Pollock, Van Newman, uh, George Barris, all the, I mean, every, the I whole was, custom car world was like crazed. I was living in Laurel Canyon. I was living on Mulholland Drive just off of Laurel Canyon. When I opened the business, um, we were first on Santa Monica Boulevard, just west of Fairfax, which is right in the heart of Hollywood. And within uh, a year, we opened a second facility just east one block, and that became our body shop. So we were a one-stop restoration facility where you could come in and bring a car and have it restored from old to new. And to give you an idea of the difference between 1977 and today, you would come in with that MGB that's outside, and I would tell you it's going to be about $6,000 to restore. $2,000 for exterior restoration, $2,000 for mechanical restoration, and then $2,000 for interior rubber and chrome. Today, to bring that car to show quality, you would spend fifteen dollars to $20,000 just for paint. Mind-blowing. So it's changed a little bit. 
Um, many people spend hundreds, yes, hundreds, plural, thousands of dollars on their restorations today. Not MGBs. No, okay, no, not MGBs. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you this. So like some of the back then, how, how uh, prolific, in other words, in the in the restoration world, was it a big thing to have cars restored back in those days, like it is today? I mean, the money really wasn't in the value of the cars back then, like it is today. So, is it, it a relative term? It was very, very much different. In 1967, I bought my first Porsche Speedster. Okay. It was $1,995. I traded a broken with a bad transmission 56 MGA as my down payment. <laughs> and paid off the balance for 24 months. Years later, I learned that because it was the car that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul Newman had driven in Harper, it had a lot of value. Had no I, way, that had, car? That was the 58 Speedster with the um, um, primer. Primer under primer, yes. Yeah, that was the car that I had in 1967 and had it from 1967 until 1970 when I moved to Europe. Now, all right, that's interesting because that was an actual movie car. That was Paul Newman's car. He actually had speedsters supposedly back in the day. But that particular car, how did you go about coming acquiring that car? And did you know it at the time? Well, they told me it had just come off of Harper at Autos from Europe, which was an independent car lot on Ventura Boulevard in Sherman Oaks. And at the time, they had a 57 507 BMW? BMW convertible that could have been bought for about $2,500. That had belonged to Gypsy Rose Lee. And they also had a going for $4,500, but I couldn't encumber myself with a $4,000 debt. That would have been just too much to do in 1967 as a college student. My, my, my. I mean, well, I now I have to change the subject a little bit. Tell us about some of the other unique cars that were celebrity owned that have kind of crossed your path a little bit. Well, because that's I, fascinating. I, I just, because it was so common out there where today we just get like a you just we just get totally enamored and excited over it. Yeah, it it you know, Hollywood's very different for many reasons. One is you don't have any rust. We're not close enough to the water in Hollywood to rust like beach cars do. You live in Malibu, Santa Monica, your car will get rusty just like it does here in Clearwater, Florida. But in Hollywood, you're far enough inland that you don't have that problem. And people drive their cars to the point of where they're becoming classics. There are plenty of 70s and 80s cars on the road in Los Angeles that are just daily drivers. It's amazing. And when you go to change something, all the hardware is not rusty. It's not like it is if you lived in the Rust Belt or if you lived on the East Coast, um, not particularly Florida, but we still bust knuckles trying to get nuts loose on uh, Florida cars as well. But some of the cars that were like uh, of provenance, prominence back in the day, so some well, of those would be like name some we, and who they we, owned, who we owned them. Sold, it, I was in the, I was a provider and an, an ancillary member of the movie community. So we had cars that were in movies, had starring roles. But in the first eight to 10 years of my career, we didn't think anything of just selling the cars once they'd been in the film. Wow. We didn't mention, oh, this had been used by so-and-so in the movie. We just sold it. Once we all became hip to it, then myself and the other vendors used to sell cars that just came off a movie. You know, if, if you had cars that had been used in a film, you would advertise them at auction having just come off the film. Now, I played the clip, Mulholland uh, Falls. Did you supply any cars for that? We, we did a lot of cars for that. A lot of the police cars came from us. I believe they used our Buick ambulance in that film. Um, and we did a lot of background cars. We were known for hero cars. <coughs> Excuse me. We were known for hero cars and for background cars. Um, when you're going to do a street scene and you're shooting on a studio lot, you want to have at the end of the lot so you don't see a Western street in the middle of your Los Angeles street. Mm -hmm. um, you'll put something like a city bus and have it blocking off things that you don't want to be seen. And then you fill in with with cars of the period. You know from the opening scenes in a movie before you see anything by looking at a street scene what era the movie is meant to be. True. And when you shoot on New York Street or you shoot on Chicago Street at one of the major studios, 
the same streets are painted facades different colors and dressed with items of the period, starting with cars. That's what lets you know this is a 60s piece, this is an 80s piece, even a contemporary piece is based upon the cars. They set the mood. So now, did you have to go out? How many cars did you have in inventory? Did you actually have to go out and acquire cars for a particular movie set? If you had to stock a whole street, you had to have something like 20, 30 cars there. Well, for most of our my time uh, with Hollywood ve picture vehicles and then Hollywood picture cars, we shortened the name once the internet came around. Okay. Because vehicles was a lot of numbers, a lot of letters. Um, we kept about 125 to 150 cars in stock. And many of those cars were painted several times. If you'd seen a 59 Cadillac in pink, the next time you saw it, you'd go, oh, um, that's the car from such and such. I saw that in pink Cadillac. I saw that in Weird Science. I saw that in any one of a number of movies that used pink Cadillac. So the next time it would be white mm -hmm. or the next time it would be black. And so many cars were painted over and over again. And eventually we'd have to strip them because you'd open the door and the paint would crack because the gaps had become too small. Now, that's an interesting question. Now, when you painted those cars, um, did you use enamel? Did you use latex? I mean, what kind of I mean, I'm, I'm being I'm not being facetious no, here, I'm saying because because no. the people say that, you know, you might have had a car in a scene where really one side of the car was crashed. The other side of the car was in pretty good shape. We just flipped the car around. And we had it painted on one side, and, and the other side was a different color. True? A lot of times when we crashed a car, mm -hmm. we deliberately crashed a particular section of the car so that we could use it again coming from the other direction. The first time, it, it might be parked, and it got hit on the driver's side. The next time, you might see a, a shot on the driving driving, excuse me, a driving shot, right. and the camera angle would be to see the passenger side, and it gets sideswiped. Well, you never see the other side of the car. So, yes, we did do that. Okay. And you also, at least in our company, we hated to ruin good cars. So a lot of the convertibles that you see wrecked on screen are really cars that we would go out to the Midwest and find a rusty old Hulk that was a two-door, uh -huh. cut the top off, re-chrome, paint, bodywork, interior, and put a foam bolster on the back with a tonneau cover, and you're looking at, you know, a 57 Ford convertible that was really born as a post 57. You know, okay. Coupe. Okay. So that was one of the ways that you didn't destroy good cars. And every once in a while you'd get a fanatic. We had a director who I won't mention, but the movie was 52 pickup. Okay. And Anne Margaret in it. And uh, it was all about a Jaguar, an XKE. And we did three cars. We had the hero car, which we rented from a friend, and it was a really Pebble Beach quality car. Uh -huh. And then we had another roadster that we just built with enamel and a vinyl interior, no Wilton wool carpets. And a third car that was born as a coupe that when I bought it, it was in a field with a tree growing through the windshield. And we had to use a chainsaw to cut that <laughs> tree out. And we cut the top off and made it look like a roadster. We brought them to the, direct, the director, and he said, I don't get the same feeling when I'm working from the other two cars. You need to go back and redo these. This was pre-production. And he had us paint them in lacquer and put leather interiors in them so he would feel the same when having any one of the three cars through his lens. Interesting. One car was for driving shots, had no windshield. It was the one that had, had the tree growing through it. And he would just be on a trailer with a camera looking through where the glass used to be, and you would only see really the two main stars. You wouldn't see too much of the car, but he felt in order to be able to do his job, they had to be perfect. The uh, What was the movie um, where they were in Vegas and they were using, a, I think, a 280 SE 3.5 Mercedes? Uh, that was done by uh, another company. Um, he's also retired at this point, and uh, that was one of the cars was a real 280. Mercedes. And the other was a coupe that was cut. Okay. Because I was going to say that, so you, do, do they contract you and tell you what they want? And then you kind of make the decision because it's a budget thing. You're not going to ruin a perfectly good 300 SE or 280 SE 3.5 convertible. No. Um, Hangover. That was the name of the movie. It, it's, yeah. it's done different ways. Okay. Um, in pre-production, you'll sit down and you will discuss at a long table what they can have. You know, a lot of times the director or producer or a main cast member, you know, he he wants 
1960 Porsche Speedster. And you have to try and tell them delicately they didn't make a Porsche Speedster in 1960 <laughs> and not get fired. Right. You know, you can't kind of go, oh, dummy, don't you know anything about 356s? <laughs> they stopped in 58 with the Speedster. No, that would get you fired. So there's a certain amount of finesse that you have to have on the set and working with these people. And you do have budget constraints. Okay. And then you have other people who I can't mention names because friends of mine still work within the industry. Okay. But there are some people who do commercials and films who need four cars and will hire 12 because he wants to see them on the day he's shooting with the sunlight that's available to see which ones look best on camera. And I will segue into the best story I have about color on camera. Okay. Years ago, there was a group called Mr. Mr. They were from Iowa. Yeah. And they had uh, a broken wing. Broken wing with the 58 Thunderbird. That's right. And that 58 th Thunderbird came from me. Really? And they had to have a turquoise car. They absolutely had to tur have a turquoise car, turquoise car. And we found them a turquoise car. And uh, when we saw the video, as you know. It's black and white. That's absolutely correct. You can't even tell. But they, ha you can I tell you, you couldn't tell a turquoise car from a light yellow or a light green car on film in black and white. But they insisted that it had to be turquoise. Well, maybe because they were, did they do any promotional shooting or something like that? And that's what, nothing? It was nothing. all black and white. All black and white. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah. If you look at the walk, uh, walk this way, run DMC video mm -hmm. shot in our warehouse, and that turquoise Thunderbird is prominently featured in the background. And you'll see it. Interesting. Now, the next question I know this, this, you're asked this a lot. You have a really cool collection of cars yourself. And at Pebble Beach this year, you had a real interesting car. And we kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit. But before I, we get into that, I kind of wanted to go through all the years that you've been doing this. It seems to me that you probably would have ran across some amazing, outstanding, unbelievable collections that probably you couldn't get your hands on, but you know their whereabouts. And then it's like this car that we're going to talk about right now. This was a very, very early, I think it's a 50s kind of uh, fiberglass car. So tell us a little bit about this car that you had at Pebble Beach this year. Because I actually saw that car at Glenn's MG's repair shop right. about a month and a half ago. And I thought, wow. And then when I'm on the lawn at Pebble Beach, I go, wait a minute. I know that car. I walked around in front and it says, Scott Bose, Clearwater, Florida. And I said, no way. For real. So That's uh, uh, a very unusual car. Um, it's called an Allied Swallow, and less than 40 of them were produced, and it's a copy of a Chiss Italia 202, which many people think is one of the most, if not the most, beautiful post-war sports car. And uh, in about 1956, MoMA put a permanent installation in the museum that includes a 202 Chiss Italia because they think that much of the car. Those cars were pretty rare, and I believe um, they built over 150 of those. For some reason, 170 sticks in my mind, but I might be wrong. Um, they were very prolific race cars. They raced them to death in Europe. They came out in about 1948 or 49, and uh, they were based on Fiat components, but done by Chiss Italia and had a lot more horsepower and had wonderful, wonderful race history. And Robert Peterson, who had his fledgling Peterson Publishing, wanted one from early on, maybe as early as 1950. And there just weren't any around. They were all racing. He was in America, had the means to buy one, couldn't find one. And in passing, he said to George Barris, who everybody knows from Barris Custom Coach, but George and his brother in the early 50s, had just a paint store, a very renowned paint store, but a paint store in Hollywood. And so uh, Robert said to George in passing, you know the guys at Allied Fiberglass, you ought to have them knock off this body. At least we could build some hot rods out of them. That's the most gorgeous car I've seen come out since pre-war times. Well, fast forward to about 1952 or three, Robert Peterson finally found the Chiss Italia. And of course it was a track rat. Like most of them, it had been 
raced and re-raced and raced again in Europe, and they all needed to be redone. So the first thing he did was bring it to George and say, hey, George, can you make a car out of this for me? Can you paint it and do the bodywork? And George said, sure, I can do that. And he called his friends Bill Burke and Mickey Thompson, Bill Burke of uh, Belly Tanker fame, right. and uh, Mickey, Mickey Thompson, Thompson <laughs> new speed equipment later on. Right. Uh, they owned um, Atlas Fiberglass, which was also Allied Fiberglass, and said, hey, um, Robert Peterson just dropped off his 202 and says, you guys can pull a mold off of it. <laughs> That's wow. what they did. And today at the Peterson Museum, Robert's original Tisatelia 202 is on display. And this car was one of the first bodies. It's body number um, 18. And it uh, is on um, an MGTD chassis and was built by a man named Hal Thompson. And uh, we were lucky enough to buy that car the story is even crazier i don't know if you have time for me to tell one oh, we got it's up anecdote. to you um just a quick anecdote about that car um that car was advertised in road and track in 1957 and in 1957 it didn't sell 57 years later a person from forgotten fiberglass oh hacker. jeff hacker, jeff hacker yeah. whose hobby is calling old ads <laughs> yeah. called up and said hey i'm not a stalker uh, this is my hobby. I don't want to sell you anything. Do you know what happened to that car? And the gentleman said, uh, the one that rode a track from 57. And he said, yeah, that one. He said, I know what happened to it. It's still in my garage. So the car had been off the road for 57 years. And in 2014, Jeff purchased the car. And I was subsequently able to purchase the car from him, recommission it and get it invited to Pebble Beach with its original paint, original interior, original chrome. I even have the original wheels and tires, but I knew I was going to do the road tour. And my wife, the last road tour with original tires, <laughs> she wouldn't get in the car. So this time I put original wheels and tires away and put new wheels and tires on it for the, excuse me, for the tour. So that's the story of the Allied Swallow. Scott, I got to tell you, just the story, and we joke about this, me and a couple of my friends. Let's go back to old road and tracks, motor trend magazines, and let's just see if that Cobra's still in there, or let's see if that Porsche is still in there. And here you can actually attest, true story, and Jeff, and I know Jeff, and that he actually went back, found an article, called it, and amazingly, that car had never, which was advertised in 1957, was still around all yeah, these years later. Very That's incredible. effective ad. He placed it in 57, and 57 years later, it sold the car. <laughs> and road and track should use that for advertising. Um, wow. At any rate, we were very pleased to have the car and to be invited. And I, I thank Jeff Hacker once again for thinking of me with that car. Now, to get on the Pebble Beach, have you had other cars there? Now, I've, I've seen you at some pretty amazing events around there. I've seen you at Amelia Island. I've seen you, I think, Boca. You've been out of Boca before, too? I haven't been to Boca, Boca? but okay. that was the third time in five years that we've been invited to Pebble. And to Pebble, and it was our third entry. And you have to understand, just being invited to Pebble Beach is a win. Mm -hmm. You don't ever have to bring any trophies home. Of course, you would like to. But if you have a car that's worth $100,000, and has a good story and gets invited and you have other cars that have had several hundred thousand dollars spent on their restoration and have equally good stories it's pretty hard to win uh, you know they have to base it on something and uh, you know if you're up against something from 1903 uh, you're not in the same class usually but there are times when they uh, put the cars together in classes but again we won three times. We were invited three times. I can tell people are out there. Um, you have to either be very old or very rich. I've got the very old part down. <laughs> <laughs> they finally started to invite us, and I'm thrilled, and I hope we get to go again. You have some amazing cars. Now, I don't know. You, I know you, I'm, you, I'm out of town believe, at time. Believe it or not, we have out-of-town guests, and I'm supposed to be at dinner at 8 o'clock. So... I'm going to sign off and thank you very much for having me and bring me back. And I would definitely love to have you because you got some great stories. Scott, thank you very much. My pleasure. Uh, say hi to everybody that you know that we know. And we'll, uh, we'll give a big shout we'll out do. to Jeffrey. And, and let's talk story again. We'll do that. We'll do okay. that. Thanks. Hey, Tom, go ahead and fire up that song we got queued up for uh, Scotty. And then uh, is it on my sheet there? Uh, can you just hum a little? I can just hum a little bit. <laughs> Oh, there we go. Broken Wings. How about that? Oh, Perfect. That's Very good. See, this is why you have a talented team here that pays attention so we know what's going on. Anyway, are you okay?
Yeah. Oh, okay. Here it is. Okay. We can't just All right. Hold on. To each other's hands. This time may be the last feel unless I make it all too clear. I need you so. Oh. Take these broken wings and learn to fly again. Learn to live so free when we hear. Steven Spielberg presents Back to the Future, a Robert Zemeckis film. Marty leads an ordinary life. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. History is going to change. And 1985 is not his year. But Dr. Brown is about to change all that. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? He's sending Marty 30 years back in time. It works! It's a flying saucer from outer space! Now, he's trapped in the past. This has got to be a dream. About to meet... Chocolate. ...his future father. He's a peeping tough. Wow! And he's making an impression on his mother. He's an absolute dream. And he can sleep in my room. Ah. Anything you do could have serious repercussions on future events. Now, he's got to make his mother and father fall in love. Right now, I haven't even been born yet. And only Dr. Brown can help him get back to the future. Are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? Precisely. Michael J. Fox. Whoa, this is heavy. Christopher Lloyd. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Back to the future. <laughs> Hello, this is the annoying Jay Leno, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back in the tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and uh, yeah, that was my uh, good buddy Scott Bose, and uh, he's got a pretty amazing car collection himself. And uh, you know, the thing about a lot of private, uh, a lot of car collectors is, you know, and I mean, Jay, Jay Leno is obviously one of the exceptions to the rules. You know, he, he talks about a lot of his cars, but you would be amazed at uh, the amount of people that have multi, and I'm talking, you know, 20, 30 car collections, and they're scattered around the country, and but they're very private. And so, you know, a lot of people are kind of like, um, they don't mind sharing it with other true car collectors, and you might get private invitations and stuff like that. And uh, occasionally they'll bring those cars out, like Scott did, and he'll bring some to Pebble Beach. So he's had them at uh, Amelia Island. I've seen his cars there. Festivals of Speed, he's had his car there. He's had his cars at the Concourse on the Ave in, in, uh, in Carmel. And uh, so, but he's got a pretty amazing car collection, and uh, we're definitely going to invite him back on the show again since he's local here. He lives right here in Clearwater part time, and then he also has a place in LA. And uh, so we'll talk about that stuff. So he's pretty cool. He also mentioned Jeffrey Hacker. Jeffrey Hacker owns a, uh, uh, I'll just say it's kind of like a little company, but he, and we're going to have Jeffrey on. And his big thing is, is to find uh, original cars out of the 40s, 50s, 60s. And his company was called Forgotten Fiberglass. And I think you can Google Forgotten Fiberglass. And uh, it's pretty, pretty interesting. And uh, some of the cars that he's come up with. And again, in this case, he found this particular car. And uh, but but uh, Jeffrey's had cars at Amelia Island. He's had them at uh, Boca Concourse. He's had them at uh, St. John's up in uh, Michigan, uh, Pebble Beach, obviously. And like Scott mentioned, you know, if you get a car, um, Pebble Beach. That's quite an honor um, to be able to get a car there because they only allow, I think, somewhere about 250 cars, maybe Amelia Island. I think it's like 250 cars. So these are very, very select cars. And if you were listening to the interview, we're talking a little bit about provenance. Provenance is extremely important in the world of cars. I mean, restoration is good, but the stories have to be good as well. And uh, 
And again, you can have some of these cars and they might be, you know, they might only be a hundred thousand dollar car and they might've spent a couple hundred thousand dollars in restorations. They might be original cars, survivor cars. They could be $30 million Ferraris. They could be, you know, $3 million um, Duesenbergs. They could be just, just anything. So, uh, and you hear me talking about this too, all the show a lot. And I talk about, you know, the four major events that I generally try to attend. And I encourage everybody to do this. These shows need to be on your bucket list. You obviously got to go at the beginning of the year, Scottsdale, Arizona, because they've got some amazing car shows. Uh, Amelia Ireland, just an absolutely outstanding show. Monterey Collector Car Week, you've got to go there. And then, of course, SEMA. And, um, so these are the events that where the the real, true, serious, hardcore car people generally make an effort to get to these events. And that's where you're going to kind of meet the who's who. And you're going to see the cars that people only fascinate, that you can only dream about. By the way, I think we got a guest coming on the show right now. And uh, we're going to talk about an, a local event here that's going to take place uh, next month. And uh, I'm welcome to the show, my good friend, Mike Bryant. Mike, are you there? Oh, yeah. How's it going? Pretty good. Hey, Mike. So uh, tell us a little bit about you, what you got going on here. You got a special car show uh, going on here during the October Beer Festival. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah, Dunedin. The Oc yeah. Octo Beer Fest. Octo Beer uh, Fest. Okay. Like the 19th uh, annual one. And uh, we've got a um, car show on the Sunday of the event, which is the 6th. But the event starts on Thursday, the 3rd. And uh, we've got a fan release that Thursday evening, and it's all free admission. Uh, to get information on it, they can go to, you know, Facebook, October Fest 2019 at Dunny Murray, or, or just check out our website. But we're looking forward to having some selected, uh, what, European... Uh, um, Classic cars? Yeah. Race yeah. cars? Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be great to have the our little Lotus 7 there. And uh, and I think we got, we got a, there was a special project car that a, a friend of ours, Joe, his son, found in a garage find up in uh, Tarpon. And it was like, it's like a uh, 356 Porsche. Yeah. And he took it all apart. And it was real, the finish looked pretty, in pretty bad shape, but. He started working on it in all original, kind of a light, lighter blue color. It looks great. It's supposed to be there. So and I think we got some other stuff coming, right? Is, and, and, and what other, uh, so you, you're talking about some of the other uh, things that are going on. You're going to have music and going to have entertainment. Um, what oh, else? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, every night entertainment. And uh, the, the uh, spam release night is uh, you get a, if you get one of the signs, you can get in with any sign from anywhere that event but um you can buy one of our stands and it's good for all year and you get a special price on any of the beers the whole year the whole year long it's a leader stand but it's got a, a every year the logo changes and so it ends up being a collectible but if you bring it back when you bring it back with you throughout the year you get a special price on any of the beers we have so it, it works out pretty good we uh we're always worried about it because how much money we lose to do that. You know, but it's <laughs> great to be able to be able to do that. You know, it's fun. Well, not only do you have great uh, beer at Dunedin Brewery in downtown Dunedin, but you also have some great food. So tell us about some of the some of the goodies you have on your menu. Well, that that uh, during those four days, we're going to have brats and you know the uh, German style stuff. You know, okay. the uh, fish tacos and uh, and uh, the wings uh, won't. I'm not sure if we're going to have it available inside, but most what we're trying to do is just focus on the, the German style, the Bavarian style food, you know, uh, uh, coleslaw and, and uh, potato salad and broth and, and uh, not worse and all that. Wow. Sounds yummy. I'm looking forward to it myself. So basically, um, cars, we want your or your yeah. your goal is to have what, about 15, 20 cars there? Is that what we have or you have room for? I don't know if we have enough room this year. We we had to uh, we have parking across the street. We're going to take over the street and okay. close it down. But it ends up kind of putting a, a, a crush on other people in the neighborhood. So uh, to make plenty of parking available, we decided just to keep it uh, between the two. We have a next door neighbor who has a, a big lot. We've done that before, and it works out pretty good. Um, and we got music the whole time. Um, throughout the weekend and then on Sunday uh, we bring bands in from the, it's not they're not going to be the, tri the traditional Oktoberfest bands they're going to be uh, jam bands and, and things like this you know more contemporary uh, 
uh, music. Okay. So it's, it's it's our way of doing things. You know, we release a uh, every year we do an octo our uh, expression of an octo beer fest beer. You know, uh-huh. uh, a little be either be an ale or a lager, and and this year's um, release is a uh, more of a toasty uh, continental pilsner style fest beer. So, okay. Uh, That'll be interesting. And it, it's there until it runs out, you know, and and so it's not a it's not a throughout the year beer. It's a special beer brewed for the event. Super. So if people want to find out more about it, where do they go? They go to dunedinbrewery.com. Is that where they go? Yeah, yeah, you can do that or go to Facebook under Octo Beer Fest 2019 at Dunedin Brewery. Yeah. Well, Mike, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on and sharing that with us. We look forward to it. We'll promote it as much as we can. Obviously, uh, I'm going to try to round up some cars for you, and uh, we should make this a a really, really, really fun event. Look forward to it. Yeah, yeah, great. Thanks a lot. All right, Mike, take care. That's my good friend, Mike Bryant from Dunedin Brewery. So uh, if you want some great food and some great brew beer, check out uh, Dunedin Brewery up there in uh, Dunedin. So let's do a, a little FLA Car Shows Minute. What else is going on? Uh, obviously, if you want to find out where all the car shows are in the state of Florida, check out flacarshows.com. A big event that's taking place here at the end of the month in our own backyard is the Hooters Clearwater Offshore Powerboat Race. Okay. The Clearwater, the Hooters Clearwater Offshore Nationals. And we, I, I threw in Powerboat so you guys know that it's Powerboat. It used to be called the uh, uh, Superboat International, but Superboat International is, uh, I guess, a kind of like uh, merge a little bit or there's kind of like they've got their event going on down in Key West. I think it's the following week. And then uh, so SBI is still around. But anyway, so this is the Hooters Clearwater Offshore Nationals and sponsored by our good friends there, uh, Frank Chavez and Bay Star Restaurants. Okay. And you're probably familiar with um, Seaweed and uh, let's see. What's the one down there in Island the States? I can't even remember. My mind just went blank. You know, that's what happens when you get old. You know, you just do your mind goes blank. But they got uh, Rambas, I think, is one of their places. And uh, Island House, Island Way, something like that down there. But anyway, great food. But it's a three-day weekend, Friday night, the parade and the uh, big gala downtown right here in Clearwater, only a stone's throw away. And then, obviously, the test and tune on Saturdays and uh, at the uh, Bay Star Village, Bay Star Village down there, uh, which is right around the well, by the library. I guess I we those of us been in Clearwater for a long time. We call it, uh, you know, the old Moss Brothers parking lot, but it's not there anymore. And uh, and then obviously on Sundays the boat races, and I think you're going to have three heats. So that's what they did last year. So it should be a lot of fun. And if you want to find out some information, don't forget to check out our social media here, Nostalgic Radio and Cars and uh culture motorsports and uh you know we'll have that stuff um uh some information for you on that as well and uh obviously mike bryant we just had him on a few minutes ago from dunedin brewery and they're gonna have their classic car show during the october 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 beer october fest so that is the uh um third fifth and uh yeah through the the third through the sixth in uh, downtown dunedin um, I'm going to do a little shout out here, a little happy birthday to a friend of mine popped in here a little while ago. So he wants me to give uh, a friend of his, Nikki. And uh, so it's happy birthday from Stan the Man. Okay. And uh, so that goes out to her. And I want to thank all my listeners for tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to check us out every Tuesday night here on the Tam Talk Radio Network between 7 and 8 p.m. for the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports. In the meantime, I want to see you guys some of the car shows. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. <laughs> I found an island in your arms, country in your eyes, arms and chains, eyes and line. Bring on through to the other side. Bring on through to the other side. Bring on you out. Oh yeah! Rain to see, we go eat day to day. WTAN Clearwater FM 106.1 WDCF Dig City FM 102.3 WZHR Zephyr Hills FM 104.3 Listen.